0: Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today.
1: If you think about what we're asked to manage and the stewardship that comes with being the voice of a 100-year-old company will be 100 in 2026. You don't make it 100 years unless you're doing something right, and unless the consumer acknowledges and recognizes and rewards what it is that you do. And so with that, Comes great expectations. And so I'm not the first CMO to manage the nationwide brand. I won't be the, the last CMO to manage the nationwide brand. So while I have it, I got to take good care of it.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stangle, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Ramon Jones, the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of Nationwide, one of the largest and strongest diversified insurance and financial services organizations in the United States. Founded over 90 years ago, Nationwide provides a full range of insurance and financial services products, including car, motorcycle, homeowners, pet, farm, life, and commercial insurance. And we all know the jingle. In fact, my guest will sing it, Nationwide is on your side. My guest Ramon first began his journey at Nationwide in 2000, where he worked in a call center. And over the years, with several leadership positions, he rose to the position of CMO in 2019. Now, several years into the role, he oversees the teams that advocate for Nationwide's iconic on-your-side promise with customers, partners, and communities. And just recently, he's been named as a 2023 brand genius by Adweek. We'll talk about that. Recorded at the NextGen CMO Academy at Deloitte University, this is my conversation with a CMO, a fellow transplanted Pennsylvanian who looks to support young and upcoming talent find their own paths. Here's my delightful conversation with Ramon. Ramon, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I just want to know, do you often get asked in interviews to sing the jingle? That's awesome. So (laughs) Nationwide
1: is on your side. Good, good. good. And the answer is no, I do not get asked because I can't sing. That's what you just heard. But, Jim, thank you for having me. This is such an honor to be here.
0: Well, I recognize it, so you're not so bad. Okay, good. But you do hire better talent to do (laughs) your singing.
1: (laughs) Surround yourself with good people. That's what they say.
0: Yeah. No, I love your advertising, by the way, and we'll we'll get into that a bit later. Awesome. But, you know, I want to stay with this jingle because it was, it made me think about, obviously, I come from Procter & Gamble, Mm -hmm. lots of jingles from those brands, but yours is one of the great brand assets of all time. Sure. So... Could you go back and share the origin story of that jingle? Sure thing. And how many years ago it was.
1: 1967. Oh, my. uh, Is when it made it, it started as an Ohio-based messaging platform to promote the company. Uh, And fun fact, the original jingle was, The Man from Nationwide is on Your Side. I remember that. There you go. And so, of course, uh, Nationwide Insurance is for more than just men and certainly more than just men uh, are uh, brand ambassadors and sell and distribute our products. But that's where it started back in 1967. Uh, and very quickly, we realized, hey, we might be onto to something here. And also very quickly, we realized that purchasing decisions are made by more than just men. Let's make sure that we're doing a more inclusive approach to a national campaign. So it ran nationally just a couple of years after that. Uh, and we even different versions have kept with those seven notes nationwide is on your side over the course of the next several decades has worked really really well for us
0: did you ever walk away from
1: it not to my knowledge now we may have launched other campaigns that would have gotten more weight than the jingle. Yeah. But since then, that jingle has always been uh, either a baseline platform of our, our branding uh, or, or closely related to it. Yeah. Is it the
0: oldest living jingle in the United States?
1: I. Don't you know, I was thinking think about so. that. You don't think so? I don't think so. Uh, and so your next question is going to be, what's older? And I can't think I, of- No, <laughs> no. It's a, it's a good homework I, project that's for right, both of that's us. That's right. I can't think of one.
0: I think at P&G, the oldest might be Folgers. Now that P&G sold that brand, but sure. the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup has been around a long time. But They're not right. as long
1: as that. That's right. Well, there you know, there are some consumer-focused branding Efforts that started back when radio became yeah, more yeah. popular, and so if you rewound back to the, you know, the early nineteen, you know, the thirties and the forties, you, you heard a lot more at that point. And people realize, wait a minute, music helps to add to brand recollection, yeah. recollection, uh, and brand awareness. And so it's been around ever since. Yeah, that's super.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but we are both trans Planet Pennsylvanians in Ohio. We are both married to Californians. No way. And we both met our spouses in graduate school. No way. So how's
1: that? <laughs> wow, that speaks very well for my future here. One day I might have my very own podcast. Look at that. You might. It's you a might. Small this word. is a good start. I agree. I agree. That's very cool.
0: And we're both from big families. I was born and raised in Lancaster. You were born and raised in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, you've not lived in Philly for a long time. That's right. So what do you miss most about it?
1: You can't get a proper cheese
0: steak <laughs> there you go. outside. I
1: just, I gave up on it. You can't find, every now and then you'll come across that diamond in a rough, but I've reserved that for when I'm traveling home. I miss that. You know, there are elements like, you know, Wawa. You're very familiar with that, that most people will look at me like I'm crazy. What are you talking about? Uh, And for those that don't know, Wawa (laughs) is a convenience store chain, uh, unique to what used to be unique to the Northeast. And now I think they've expanded just a bit, but you don't get that in Ohio. No. And all of the things that come along with that, a proper hoagie. The vibe around certain college campuses and the food and, you know, downtown Philly is just something special. And every big city's got its challenges, but there's nothing like Philly.
0: And nothing like the sports and the fans. That's it.
1: That's it. That's it. I am a diehard Eagles fan, first and foremost. All of the other sports kind of surround that. And so I rise and fall with the success of my team and even being in Ohio, where it is certainly Buckeye territory. That was an adjustment for me. What the heck is this college football thing? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? You've lived in Columbus now for a Mm -hmm. while. I know off and on you've lived in a lot of different cities. Sure. Uh, What what do you think is the one thing that would surprise most people about Columbus, Ohio? Columbus is a easy place to live.
1: It is surprisingly diverse, forward thinking. I think the university helps with that. Mm -hmm. It is mostly a white collar town. Uh, nothing against blue collar and manufacturing. And that's actually a growing element of central Ohio. You have, uh, it's a state capital. So it, there's an element of it being recession proof, if you mm-hmm. will, which makes the economy relatively stable. And then you have companies like Nationwide that's headquartered there, uh, limited brands. Yeah. So Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, uh, a huge banking presence with J.P. Morgan Chase uh, and a Bunch of regionals uh, that are located there, uh, and then tech firms like Intel, who has announced uh, the construction of manufacturing in Central Ohio, and with that comes all of the supporting businesses. And so, I share all of it to say that the economy is super healthy, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but it remains affordable. So most people can own a house and a car or two, and save for retirement uh, and take a vacation every year. The lifestyle is 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 super. And so it's been pretty cool raising my kids in that environment, even though I try my best to make sure that they're Eagles fans and East Coast (laughs) fans. um, Yeah, it's it's a great place to live. They're not Bengals fans yet. If if I do my job right as a parent, (laughs) uh, you can finish that sentence. No, I
0: spent many years in Cincinnati. Uh, My son went to Ohio State. He met Mm -hmm. his wife there, so we know Columbus. And I just the reason I asked the question. I think it's a surprisingly lively, creative, interesting city. No question about and it. And I don't think it gets, gets enough credit for that.
1: The the university does a nice yeah. job of that. You yeah. got a lot of young talent that's attracted to a very large school, a very good school, and many of them want to stick around. And yeah. so fortunately, we get to hire a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So we like it. And we, as you've mentioned, we've lived all over the place. And so I can compare our experience in the South and out West to that of Columbus, Ohio. And it's actually been very favorable.
0: Yeah. Now we're here at the NextGen Academy at Deloitte University. You were you're an alumni of this academy. I back sure in two thousand eighteen. Now you've got the big CMO role which you've been in three plus years. So and you were a speaker this morning in front of the fifty or so participants here of NextGen or Emerging CMOs. And I sat in and listened to your interview slash speech this morning, and it was uh it was wonderful. And and it gave me some insights and inspiration for this interview we're doing. And I want to start with two quotes from you this morning. And and the one's a little bit more personal and the one's a little bit more CMO one. But you you said about your Philadelphia and your family and being raised there, the quote was, uh, I'm one of the kids who made it out of the projects because someone or some people took an interest in me. So t- go there a bit more for us. Sure. About who, who was that someone? Or sure. Who what, who were those some people and what was it about them that helped you get to where you are today?
1: Uh, boy, how much time do we no, have? No, we have all <laughs> the time in the world. How much <laughs> time do we have? Uh, first, this, this high praise coming from you. I'm glad you enjoyed the talk this morning. Uh, and as I said often, if I'm able to just be myself uh, and unfiltered, uh, you might actually get some you good stories coming out of that. And This program, which I participated in a few years ago, I knew then and I know now that they encouraged that. I found that great leaders are actually able to be authentic Uh, because people are smart. They can see right through that. Okay, the upbringing and the journey and uh, the opportunity to go from a place where you typically wouldn't look for talent to getting to where I am today. Uh, There's been a number of people that have kind of guided me along the right path. And the first was my mother who did not finish high school and for lots of reasons uh, and, you know, good and bad, but lots of challenges faced her and therefore faced our family. But she stayed on us, uh, all of us. And she gave us a choice in the morning. You're going to get up and go to school or you're going to get up and go to work, but you're going to go somewhere. And her goal is for us to do better than her do better than she did. Uh, And I was one of those kids where school worked out. And so I recall her writing letters when I was in junior high school, applying to magnet schools. I recall her writing letters to get the school bus stopped through our neighborhood because the route didn't stop in North Philadelphia. And I was the only one at that school that needed the bus to stop there because we didn't have a car. I recall all of these experiences and just watching her. And, you know, I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, maybe younger. You know, kids are perceptive. They see all of the things that are happening. I knew the environment that I was in. I knew the opportunity that this, this school in Center City, Philadelphia, might offer that I managed to test into. I, I knew the potential, as did she, and she, she made it happen. And so you asked the question, who was part of that process? That was my first advocate. That was my very first advocate. The next would be an older brother who, back to that school work decision, he decided to go to work to help the family. And that's what he did. And he was a breadwinner in a space that was, there was a void left uh, for lots of reasons. But he did that and he became that father figure for me. And so I go back to some of my early jobs. We've talked about working in call centers and a variety of other places like that. My first job was washing school buses in a school bus yard for 10 bucks a day when I was in seventh grade. And it's because my older brother was a school bus driver and managed to get me and my twin brother part-time jobs on the weekends, washing school buses. Summertime, wintertime. Yes, exactly. They're yellow. So you can tell (laughs) if you did a bad job. And they're big. (laughs) And they're big. And you know, I learned so much from just Mm. that experience. I learned that You know, an honest day's work for a couple of bucks in your pocket goes a long way. I learned that you just can't assume that everyone has the opportunity and a wherewithal to go out and make money. You know, I learned that there's an honest way of being able to do that because I watched him. And he was one that worked really hard. And he still does today. He drives for FedEx. So still in that same ecosystem. But just super respectable uh, and taught me, you know, work ethic and a value of earning a dollar, uh, as well as those life lessons on being a man and growing up as a man. So I think about a lot of people that have been part of that process, but those two stand out because without that foundation, yeah. you know, no, no telling where I might be today.
0: You're a twin too, right? That's right. Yeah. that's My right. son married a twin. Look at all of these yeah.
1: commonalities here. Yeah, now, I, I know. It's you. crazy. Yeah. How, how's that impacted
0: you as a leader human being you know growing up as a twin
1: uh, i would say that the bigger impact is just growing up in a big family yeah especially at the you know we're 7 and 8 out of 8 kids oh wow not important yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: i'm 3 of 6 so i was modestly important yeah yeah modestly yeah, important yeah.
1: not important by the time you get to that point and i tell my wife f-
0: is 5 of 11 oh wow so th- family, family gatherings yes
1: exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly not important unless you do something worthwhile and try to do something positive and not negative But I tell people I learned management from my mother who managed the older ones, who managed the younger ones. (laughs) I I am not bullshitting you. That's kind of how it worked out. Uh, And so there was always someone to make breakfast for you, to get you dressed in the morning, to make sure that you got out of the house to get to school. That, That always happened. There was structure in place. And it was mostly kind, as Mm -hmm. kind as siblings can be, and mostly loving because, you know, as poor as we were, I don't remember being cold in the wintertime. I don't remember going hungry. Uh, I do remember someone caring for us. I do remember having what I needed, which was not a whole lot. And so, fast forward to where I am today, and, you know, you and I are blessed with having great careers and have done well. All of those things are fine. But it's not the priority. What can I do to help that next generation? What can I do to invest in someone that might not get that shot? That's a
0: priority for me right now. Yeah, I know. We're going to get to that. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So listen, the second quote I want to talk about, you know, maybe a little bit more straightforward, but I love it. And it's an important one for everyone listening, and that is, The CFO is my friend. Oh, yeah. So let's go there. Uh, Just imagine a world- How do you make your CFO um, your friend?
1: Imagine a world where that's not the case. That's a very stressful environment. You know, uh, I'm fortunate in that, again, I've been at the company for a while, uh, as has our current CFO and the previous one, who I had a really solid working relationship with. I have a slight advantage in that. I grew up in the business. And so, working in the business, you develop certain principles and understandings of uh, how you make and lose money in this business. Mm-hmm. And so, stepping into a marketing chair, I had already established myself as a P&L leader. They knew that I knew what it takes to actually grow our company profitably. And so, with that came a level of trust and credibility around the decisions that we're going to make to help continue that. Part of that involves, you know, as we navigated through COVID. Making sure that we're watching the return on investment, making sure that we're putting dollars in places that are going to generate that type of return for the company while keeping our brand present uh, and active in those segments that we want to keep it alive. What that also forced was decisions. There are certain things we're going to invest in and certain things that we may have had the luxury of investing in in the past, but we really need to look more closely at it today. And being willing to make really, really tough calls around partnerships with outside firms that weren't delivering a return, spending money on projects that you know, hindsight's always 20, 20 I can always point at the last guy and say, why the heck did they invest in this? But the fact is there were circumstances by which it made sense then that it probably doesn't now. And so being willing to make those reductions, those actions early on helped to cement that level of credibility, not just with the CFO, but with our leadership team. And so as we move forward and as we move through COVID and as I looked at and established our strategy to figure out, okay, here's where we need to invest. Uh, it was less of a selling job in order to do so. It's still a selling job as a marketer. Yeah. You know that.
0: I mean, there's trust that you have and you grew up in the business. So those are two huge assets for sure. you. But what are there any practices or habits or rituals that you have with your CFO? I mean, do you sit down once a week? Do you get them involved in big decisions? Do you, do you bring... His or her team sure. into, into some of your discussions? Sure,
1: sure. That's a great question. Uh, I do have a one on one relationship with the CFO. He's got CFOs that support our different verticals mm-hmm. that he meets with on a regular basis. And on a quarterly basis, I'll hold a call or meeting, depending on where we are, with these CFOs to explain marketing strategy. Here's where we are. Here's what I told you we were going to invest in over the course of the last three to six months. Here's how it's performing. And this is what you can expect for the next 12 months. So that it's full transparency. Mm-hmm. I know that there are things that I'm going to discuss that they're not interested in investing in. But they see the bigger picture. And I'm being super transparent. Yeah. And so if there's questions, now's a great time to raise them. Otherwise, uh, here's what we're doing. And I need your support. I don't need to be... Relitigating this issue every two, three months, because I'm telling you where I'm going, and this is going to be tied to business strategy. So if the business is going here, you're going to see our marketing strategy line up with mm-hmm. that business strategy. And if I miss a line, let me know so that we can, we can adjust. Uh, but I do my best to make sure that there's no surprises from that perspective.
0: That's, and you have 10 business units, right? Yeah. So that's 10 CFOs. Yeah. yeah. It's they not group a, small a couple me- of them together. So it's not 10, yeah. but yeah. it's not one. Yeah, uh, right, it's right.
1: The, the key is making sure that, yeah. and you know, not all verticals are created equal. Yeah, there are right. some that generate different levels of yeah. uh, profit and returns. And those are the ones that need to absolutely make sure that they know what we're doing because they pay for marketing. You know, at the end of the day, we're in allocation just like legal and HR and IT, and uh, I want to make sure that they are confident in the investments that they're making.
0: Now, we're here at Deloitte U, and all of the participants, as you were five years ago, are surveyed before they come in mm-hmm. for what they're wrestling with, what their challenges are, mm-hmm. and we try to structure you know, a lot of the content to help them with the issues they're wrestling with. But one of the top one, this won't surprise you, is talent, sure. and not just the big word talent. It's how do you organize the talent You know, how do you structure your organization? How do you, you know, yes, attract, but then retain and promote and so on? This is a passion of yours. Oh, yeah. And you spoke about it in your speech this morning. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to go a little bit deeper when you take that big word talent. How do you think about it? What's working for you? What are some of the best practices that you're putting into place now that enable you to do the kind of excellent work that you and your team are doing at Nationwide?
1: Sure, sure. Boy, that's, uh, I can spend a long time talking about people. Uh, and as you know, in our discipline, at the end of the day, uh, we, we get results through people. Uh, And in my business specifically, financial services, it's intangible, if Mm -hmm. you will. There's not a car rolling off the end of an assembly line that we could talk about. It is a product that you have to trust that we're going to deliver when it's time to use that product. And so I need, and we all do, I need specialized talent that understands not just the products that we're looking to sell, but they understand the people that sell our products, our intermediaries. You heard me talk about Mm -hmm. that earlier. Yep. And then also, you have to understand the consumer that purchases those products, and you take that and you're looking at ten different verticals. You know, home insurance, life insurance, commercial insurance, agribusiness, pet, retirement plans, uh, investments. I'm going to miss a few of them. Annuities. (laughs) You're doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss a couple. All of them are important some overlap in audiences, but in many cases, you're talking to different distribution networks mm-hmm. for different products. And so thus the importance of maintaining the global nationwide brand and then being able to go deep into different segments through different approaches to that that target consumer or that target intermediary that's selling those retirement uh, plan accounts. And so we do that through talent. Uh, it helps to have experienced talent that understand these products. In many cases in our verticals, you're required to have certain licenses. And so mm-hmm. I hold a series six, a series 26. Uh, there are folks that hold series sevens depending on the products that they're talking about. And that's a requirement of the industry. You need to know your product funny story when i came from the pnc side to the uh, to my life and financial to the to the bigger job i had to get licensed because of course uh, as as is appropriate uh, finra wants to make sure that those who are selling these products understand suitability mm-hmm. and want to make sure that we're selling the right product to the right people so tiny paragraph at the bottom of that offer letter that states if you do not pass this exam within six months of the job. take that promotion away. That's right. That's right. We'll find another job for you. That's basically what it looks like. Uh, And that was a rude awakening for me. Here I am, you know, many years into my career. uh, And it's super important that I understand uh, the weight that comes along with helping people make those decisions, uh, major life decisions around life insurance and retirement. And so it was an honor to be able to do that. But All of that to say that I need talent that cannot just pass these exams, but understand the weight and the obligation that comes with managing a brand selling such products. And so uh, one of the good things to come out of COVID, and it's been a challenge for all of us, but one of the good things I believe to come out of this is the fact that we're now casting a wider net for talent. Historically, we would look to hire and bring people into Columbus, Ohio, or to Des Moines, Iowa, or Scottsdale, Arizona. Those are our major population centers. And now we're looking to cast that wider net. So I'm able to go after talent that ordinarily wouldn't want to move from New York or L.A. or Philly or D.C., wouldn't want to move into the Midwest. Now you don't have to. I need you to be there and to be present Uh, a a certain number of uh, weeks or days Mm -hmm. of the year, but I can now cast that wider net for talent that want to be part of the nationwide family. And so a little bit more flexibility there, which goes a long way. I'm able to cast a wider net for diversity. I'm able to cast a wider net just to mix it up just a bit to get folks into those talent pipelines. And so uh, I'm, I'm bullish on talent going forward. Lastly, I'll just say it's super important to have pipelines, of talent uh, because people get opportunities and if I'm doing my job I'm developing and promoting folks that are part of my team and I need to make sure that those pipelines to, to backfill that talent exist. So that was the case for me and uh, one of the benefits that came out of participating in the Deloitte program it worked for me. I want to make sure that I'm also sending candidates and I'm also investing in that next generation of talent so that when I get kicked out of here for making a bad commercial uh, there's someone sitting there that can actually step into that role and carry on the great work that we've
0: been doing. I don't think you'll get kicked out for doing a bad commercial. <laughs> I don't think you do a bad commercial. I, I,
1: I like the way you think. <laughs> and I'm gonna stick with that. You have
0: the right talent around you, I think. That's right, yeah. that's right. I'm
1: fortunate I got great people that are yeah. part of the team, some of which I hired and uh, many of which I inherited and I'm proud of all of them.
0: Yeah. So. Ramon, I was doing some research on you and I was, I don't know if this is a video or an article I found, but it was uh, your five principles for building a strong career. And so, and I love them actually.
1: Let's, let's hear what I said. You in want to, interview. okay, I hope you
0: remember this. Well, you, did, you know, from hearing you this morning, I think we'll be okay. So spending time on the front line. Yes. Okay. Second, know your business. Mm-hmm. Third, create a development plan for yourself. Mm-hmm. Fourth, build your own board. I love that. Yep. Yeah. And take time to give back, which we've already talked about a little bit. So it's actually very PG like. So you could have been right? a very successful executive at Procter Gamble. I just want to tell you that.
1: that uh, it's an honor.
0: I could have lifted those out of the PG. That's principles. very cool. So, but I want you to talk about, of those five, which one do you feel emerging leaders often overlook? Hands
1: down, it would be their personal board of directors. And so let me tell you what I mean by that concept. And I learned this. Uh, this was shared with me. I didn't come up with it. Someone shared this with me earlier in my career, back in my call center days, as a matter of fact.
0: So early in your career, you worked in a call center. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. With That's Nationwide. With Nationwide.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I actually managed a call center for a hot minute with Nationwide also. That's a different set of stories, which are fascinating in and of themselves. We'll come back to yeah. that. <laughs> Personal Board of Directors. It is a, a group of... A handful of people who have either done something that you admire, someone whose experiences perhaps are different than yours, someone who will tell you the truth. Uh, Someone who you respect their journey and what it is that they've done. And they don't necessarily have to outrank you. So it doesn't have to be people that Mm -hmm. are, you know, uh, it's just folks who, when you're faced with making a major, in my case, career decision, or if you're dealing with a challenge at work, I have a group of people who are going to tell me the truth, whose opinion uh, I I trust and believe in, uh, and folks that I know that are going to be responsive to the issues that I'm dealing with. A handful Two, three, four people that I can bounce these ideas past, and they're going to give me unfiltered, unvarnished, objective advice. And then I get to make a call. I refer to those folks as my personal board of directors. And I still use that concept. Uh, and believe it or not, I still have folks that are on my board, if you will, that have been there for over a decade, people who I trust. Uh, before I make a major career decision, this is someone or a couple of folks that I'm going to look to get their point of view. And so as people climb the ladder, uh, particularly as you look at the attendees of this session, if you will, in many cases, they're so focused on how do I get to that next level? Uh, what's my next move? How do I position myself for that next job? And they're trying to solve this in, in a bubble, if you will. Uh, and I have found once I kind of got wind of this concept, that boy, it's a lot easier when I'm able to talk to smart people who have relocated more than once, or who have led a p in the past, and here's some things to watch out for, or who have worked with a group of distributors in the southeastern part of the U.S., and here's what's unique here. Here's some advice that I can give you. As opposed to figuring out this stuff, trial and error. At the end of the day, I still own the decision, but Man, it's great to have people that I can have this conversation with. And so that's that's a concept that I employed quite some time ago, and I tell folks about that all of the time. Don't take it all on yourself. Mm-hmm. Surround yourself with people who are just wise enough that that are willing to offer a point of view on some of these heavy,
0: heavy decisions. You know, Antonio Lucio, who's re- recently left f- Facebook, I don't know, a year or two ago, but mm-hmm. I think one of the great CMOs of my generation anyway, and, uh, Pepsi, P&G, Visa, HP, he did a kind of a closing video for his career. I don't know if you've seen that, I but have it noticed. was very vulnerable about what he learned, mistakes. And one thing he said he learned too late in his career is develop outside his company mm-hmm. an external group of people who he can look to for advice, inspiration, changing his point of view about something. Sure. And he's a strong advocate of that concept. So. So good for you. That's
1: that, that's meaningful in that we're so heads down on yeah. what I have to do right. with next busy. week. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. exactly. But it, To the extent that you can develop that, it goes a long way.
0: Yeah. So, who on that personal board of directors has been particularly influ- influential for you?
1: I have a dear friend who I've known for over 20 years, a gentleman by the name of Terrence Williams. So Terrence and I, uh, he was a couple of years ahead of me, if you will, uh, grew up at Nationwide. Uh, he took a leadership role at Allstate and just recently was named uh, a CEO of a smaller mutual. Um, and so he's been an advocate of mine as I've developed, but also just one of the most trusted and just upfront business leaders that I've had the fortune to observe over time. Uh, and here's, here's a great little story for you. When I was a new RVP, Regional Vice President, one of my first P&L roles was in, in the South. I was based in Atlanta, uh, and as a P&L owner, you get lots. You have lots of uh, offers for advice. You get lots of help. Uh, And you have a lot of bosses, but Mm -hmm. on occasion, you're brought in to do what we call business reviews, where you have to review uh, and share and speak to the different elements of your business, what's working well, where you hit your numbers, where you're missing. And so this is a review where I, as the RVP, get to sit at one end of the table and 15 other people are sitting on the other end, if you will. And Terrence, who was, uh, I reported to him at the time, who was training me, if you will, He's sitting next to me. We're in this review, and it is an absolute shit show. Excuse my language. (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) We're missing the numbers. We're missing our sales goal. Profit margins are down. uh, And this conversation is happening in the room around me. And he leans over to me, and he says, one line, get control of your room. And at that moment, I realized that either I can – I can be spoken to in a way where it doesn't demonstrate that I own this business or I can take control of my region. I can take control of the room. And so I did. And I'll never forget that. And I've shared this- How did you
0: do that? That's hard to do on the spot. It's your voice has to become a little louder.
1: Your direction has to be more specific. Uh, Your line of questioning, if you will, as opposed to being on a receiving end, you start delivering. And so uh, it very quickly went from, uh, here's what we're going to do to fix this, to here's what I need you to do if I'm going to get these results. And I used to, going into that, used to dread business reviews. And you start preparing a week before, if not longer, and you're going over every number. And by the time that I became a little bit more seasoned as a P&O leader, I loved them. I couldn't wait for the next one which is you heard me say earlier today to marketers, you got to understand your numbers because if you do, the buck stops here. Know your business. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I can talk to you about, here's what I need if I'm going to get to X, Y, Z, as opposed to you telling me, and I I don't know how you're prepared to tell me that because I'm here and you're sitting in home office. I'm going to tell you, this is what I need in order to get X, Y, Z output. And just a Different shift, a different mindset, and I learned that by being open enough to listen to someone who had walked down that uh, walked that path before. So, I know that's an aside, but that's just an example of that's how story. he's been yeah. a great mentor yeah. of mine, and that still uh, resonates with me today. Yeah.
0: When I joined PNG as a young person, a senior, I went to a, you know an orientation, and a senior person in the room got up and said. We're not a hierarchical company. The people who have the power in quotes in this company are those that know their business the best. Mm-hmm. So whether you're at this company three months or 30 years, the person who will have the opinion that matters is the one sure. who knows the business and we will follow that person. Makes sense. Very powerful principle. Makes sense. And something we can all impact. Yeah, At absolutely. whatever level we're in the company. Absolutely.
1: And so I've, what I've shared with marketers, uh, the, the marketers that I inherited, uh, is that Yes, this is a discipline that requires that we do good creative. We get attention and we build our brand. We're the voice of the company, but you must know your numbers. And that was somewhat of a shift. Creatives typically shy away from accounting 101. And I'm not saying that you need to be a CPA, but as I stated in the room earlier, this is not a nonprofit. We have to understand how to manage our business and where we fit in that insurance equation. And with a solid understanding of that, CFOs become your friend, so that's kind of how it works. Yeah,
0: one of your big five—that's a Philadelphia term, by the way—the big five. You know, that's an inside joke. <laughs> Absolutely, we have
1: the palestra and all of the <laughs> other good stuff that comes with so it.
0: I've, I've been at games in that in the mm-hmm. palestra. It's Nothing like it. Anyway, one of your big five is uh, taking time to give back. Yes. So, could you talk about why that's one of your big five? And I, I think I know the answer to that, but I'd like you to go there, and how you. Bring that to life today. Sure,
1: sure. It's. Uh, I, I mentioned this earlier. It's. It's very easy for us to be heads down, focused on getting the work done, focused on doing a great job at work. That's our number one objective. Uh, but I've also shared with you my background and where I come from and how I got from you know, from there to here. And it is that journey that, you know, as I say to others, mm-hmm. I I can't not see it. I can't not see the need. I can't not see the homeless person on the side of the road. I can't not understand that during COVID where my kids who were in private school did fine, but many that are in public schools that are not as well supported got lost. You know, I I can't not see that. And so those of us who have a means of giving back are obligated to do so. Now, it doesn't always happen. And I understand, you know, we're busy, but for me, it's personal. You know, someone always looked after me. Someone always gave me advice or, hey, go do your homework. Or, you know, I mentioned this earlier, there's there's lots of circumstances by which I had people around me making sure that I did my best. What can I do to do the same thing going forward? How could I pay that forward? And so today it looks like mentorship uh, mentoring that next generation. It looks like serving on nonprofit boards, and I serve on a board of a healthcare organization in Ohio, uh, Mount Carmel, uh, which is a hospital that, like most healthcare organizations, focus on health and wellness of everyone, but they focus on the poor, and that's what attracted me to that organization, the program that they have called Street Medicine, where physicians are hopping into Jeep Wranglers and driving into homeless encampments and delivering needed healthcare uh, or dental care or you know, checking blood pressure, the things that uh, those who don't have that regular primary care set up, uh, they, they fall through the cracks. And so how do we give people who care the opportunity to, to deliver it to uh, where that care is needed? Uh, it's, it's examples like that, it's, it's mentoring, it's internships during the course of the summer. So I wanna bring in you know, kids who are first-generation college who might be a little rough around the edges as we would describe them and give them a chance to learn about the discipline of insurance or uh, the industry that we call financial services. Because I grew up through the En-ROADS program. You may may have heard of that. It's a program that's established to do the exact same thing for people like me. As they say, uh, intelligence is distributed equally. Opportunity is not. There are smart people everywhere. So what could I do to create that opportunity to connect those smart people with career opportunities or with partnership or mentorship opportunities? Those things are important. And so that's why that's important to me, Joe.
0: Early in your career, I I noted this, it might've been when you were at Villanova, I don't remember, but you did an internship in insurance. I did, yes. And it clicked. And I think it clicked more than what you did Mm -hmm. the summer or year before. So what about, that experience clicked for you. I
1: got to start by giving you a lot of credit on your
0: research skills. Well, now. I'm pretty good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well done. I'm pretty well good.
0: Done. If, if you're going to spend time with me, I, I need to give you the respect and dignity Fair. that I'm going to spend time understanding as best I can who you are before we have a dialogue.
1: I, I love that. And I will learn that. Uh, not that I don't do it, but you know, it's an honor coming from you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I did an internship with State Farm years and years ago. I don't mind naming them. Great mm-hmm, company mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, pivotal in my development as a financial services professional. And what I learned was one, it's an industry that I never really focused on, insurance. And so my internships previously, uh, previous to that was in banking. And in my head, I'm going into the banking world and I'll end up in New York on Wall Street or whatever the case may be. But I did that internship with State Farm uh, between my junior and senior year in, in college And what I learned was there's this whole new segment of financial players called mutuals, mutual companies who are not stock companies, who are owned by the policy holders, whose focus is on, yes, generating a profit, uh, but also protecting those that are part of the mutual. Uh, That appealed to me, and State Farm, as large as they are, they're a mutual, they're a private company, if you will. I learned that, and I also learned about culture. And so I was able to compare at such a younger age, the culture in banking versus the culture in insurance and the culture in public companies versus the culture in a mutual. And one felt just a little bit more natural for me. And so you've heard me say earlier, I do my best work when I can be my best self. Uh, I felt that that summer uh, and I ended up joining State Farm after graduating uh, and had a great career there and would still be there if I didn't decide to go back to school. Uh, Just just nothing but good things to say about that company and uh, an appreciation for the fact that that opened my eyes to a completely different industry that I just wasn't uh, familiar with.
0: Well, you also had self-awareness at a young age to recognize those things. Yeah, yeah, which
1: looking back at it, it's like, holy smokes, we weren't really talking culture back then. And you were what, what, 1920 at that time? Yeah, 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 college junior.
0: Yeah, so that's good for you. That worked out. Now listen, a few months ago, you were named a 2023 brand genius by Adweek. So, congratulations. Yikes. And by the yes. way, four of your colleagues have been on the show. Who were I, named know this. This year. I know Carla this. I know this. Carla Hassan, mm-hmm. So Young Kang, Andrea Mallard, and, and Michelle St. Jacques. So, mm-hmm. you're in great company. And so are they. Agree. But I watched a video of your acceptance remarks. See, I really go deep. Oh, uh, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that wasn't easy to find. And, and it was quick. It was, I don't know, two or three minutes, mm-hmm. but it was full of gratitude to your team. Uh, but also to those who have gone before you at Nationwide. And you talked about your role as steward of the brand. And I love that concept. And I'd like you to talk about that more, and especially how that affects your role as CMO at Nationwide. Sure. This idea of being a brand steward.
1: There's a lot there. Uh, And again... Really appreciate the research that is going into this. It's a good video. I recommend our listeners look it up. It's kind of cool. It's cool. It's cool to 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 get recognized oh, yeah, outside great. of your company uh, for work and that you've And they do a done. good
0: job of valuing the right things.
1: I'm completely honored by that. It is it is a huge honor. And talk about great company. Uh, Carla over at J.P. Morgan Chase, she uses the term, uh, we talk about uh, the art and science of marketing mm-hmm. and brand management, she she talks about heart and science, which I told her to her face. I'm going to use that, <laughs> and so here we go, Searching Carly. This is it. This is it. But it just it makes so much sense if you think about what we're what we're asked to manage and the stewardship that comes with being the voice of a 100 year old company will be 100 in 2026. You don't make it 100 years unless you're doing something right, unless the consumer acknowledges and recognizes and rewards what it is that you do. And so with that comes great expectations. And so I'm not the first CMO to manage the nationwide brand. I won't be the, the last CMO to manage the nationwide brand. So while I have it, I got to take good care of it. It's very cool to, to get an award or to get recognized for managing that brand. Uh, but it's way bigger than just me. It's a huge team that's bigger than just creatives. It's folks that recognize what's happening in the industry, uh, what's happening with our businesses, and how we can respond to that to build our brand. Uh, and it's also, especially these days, where budgets are tight, uh, and you know our budget is probably half of what it was pre-COVID at this point. It's not an award that we can go out and purchase. We're actually spending less these days on brand, but we're being way more disciplined in how we're doing it, and it's resonating. And so, boy, it feels pretty cool to to get an award. I I still reluctantly accept that title as brand genius. I'm not a, just I can <laughs> I know, talk, to, but yeah, talk to your kids. Yeah, They'll tell you yeah. how much yeah, of a genius right, yeah,
0: you are. Exactly, right. yeah. They have a knack for that.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. But yeah, and, and great company. You you have had yeah. a handful of folks who were recognized yeah. this year. Um, you've had folks who I think are certainly in line for it. Uh, Catherine Reeves over at Illumina, yeah, for instance, yeah. uh, a dear friend of mine who I've known for a very long time, who, again, just someone who has forgotten more about marketing than I'll ever learn. And people who I just respect how they go about doing the business that they do. Those are folks that fall into that category of your board of directors, people that you can learn from. Yeah.
0: So what, what do you hope you're, you're in the stewardship role, which you will be? There will be an end to that someday. There is, and what, what's your hope when you leave your term as steward of the Nationwide brand? Sure. How things will be different
1: You know, uh, first and foremost, I have to make sure that I am developing that next generation of talent that can step in where I leave off. Uh, And there are smart people all around me. Uh, I'm fortunate And that there's any number of folks that can do this job, if not better uh, than I can. And so I want to make sure that I'm preparing them for what it takes. Again, why I'm I'm here at Deloitte and why we typically will have a candidate or two Mm -hmm. in a next generation program. It worked for me years ago. Uh, I'm a big believer in it. Uh, I want to make sure that, you know, again, we're being good stewards of not just the brand, but of our policyholders premiums. Every dollar someone spends on one of our products, a portion of that goes to the work that we do. And so I want to make sure that that investment is the right one. I want to build our brand and I want to build trust in the nationwide brand, but I want to do it at a cost level that is not cost prohibitive uh, just to build my ego. And those are probably not the right words, but I think you get where I'm going. I want to make sure that I'm not only just being a good steward of the brand, but I'm being a good steward of the dollars that I'm entrusted with to build this brand. Uh, and i kind of mentioned this earlier i want to make sure that i'm building that pipeline for talent so not just to replace me but future marketers i want to make sure that that uh, we're casting that wide net for smart talented diverse uh, candidates to become part of not just a nationwide family, but part of our discipline. Uh, there's a reason a group like Becca exists, and I know you're familiar with that. It is to make sure that we're creating an environment that is friendly to all marketers, whereas that hasn't always been the case. We're creating that um, that network, if you will, that uh, personal board of directors of really, really smart people that have solved problems before us so that we can be a bit more successful as we tackle next year's problems.
0: You know, Another beautiful thought, I think, in this concept of brand steward, and this was in the essence of your speech when you accept it, it, it's an acknowledgement that people came before us that did their best. Sure. And I I really hate when someone changes jobs or comes into a company and in their first two or three months sort of upends everything. Okay. You know, I need a new chief of staff. I need a new agency. I need a new analytics partner, whatever it might be. Come in, be curious ask questions why are people doing what they're doing and yeah you may end up changing stuff but go in respecting that that's right they had the right intentions likely and they did things for the right reason environment's change markets sure. change but i think there's a respect for those who came before you and a respect for those who come after you
1: exactly exactly who am i to to carry on the notion that i know everything there is about managing the nationwide brand uh, you know, yeah. that, that just doesn't even feel right. Acknowledging that there's been great work that was done before I stepped into this chair and there will be great work after the fact. And so for this moment in time, while I'm sitting in a chair that I'm in with the team that I have mm-hmm. around me of super smart people, let's do our best work uh, and let's grow our company uh, and make good decisions and, you know, make some amazing creative and be smart with the dollars and form great relationships and support women in investing and women's sports and a variety of other things that we get to support, support Nationwide Children's Hospital, which is another passion of, of our companies, do all of those good things so that when the next person steps in, they can take that platform and take it to the next level. I'm cheering for that per- that person yeah. already. Uh, but I want to make sure that I'm doing my best work now, so that they can continue to advance the ball, if you will.
0: Let's flip into the creative brief, and I have to ask this as the first question: Who's your favorite all-time Philadelphia athlete? I know you love Philly sports. Oh boy, you're
1: going to make me narrow it down to one—a <laughs> Philadelphia athlete I favorite.
0: Trouble, I do have
1: one. There, there I have are names. Doctor J is one yeah, that comes to mind almost immediately. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little deeper into crates so on you here. Dawn Staley, who is my contemporary, uh, who went to Dobbins Tech, played basketball, went to Temple. Uh, Did she go to Temple? She coached at Temple. She went to Virginia, played basketball, Mm -hmm. became a member of the U.S. Women's Olympic team, ultimately coached uh, at Temple, and now she's at South Carolina. Uh, And South Carolina, for the last several years, their women's, women's program has been Final Four, playoffs. She's got a couple of championships under her belt under the radar, North Philly girl, went to high school with my brother. That's oh, a whole wow. different story. Wow. But just someone who epitomizes that climb from the bottom that has done great work. So she would be, in, she would make the list. Told you I'm a football fan. So I got to look at a guy like a Nick Foles, who was, again, I, there's some underdogs here, backup quarterback who ended up taking us to the promised land, but also uh, the the TOs of the world who were, you know, that's a big, Philly attitude, so one of my favorites, Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson, and you know just what he's done for basketball in that city. Any of these people could run for mayor and win. Yeah, any of them. Yeah, and so let's not forget
0: Wilt. Uh, of course, yeah. of yeah.
1: course. There's there's no shortage of if you're a Philly fan. Um, uh, there's a lot of people that that are going to check that box.
0: We have a granddaughter who just turned one. Her name is Olive, and my daughter gave her niece. A baby Allen Iverson jersey, <laughs> AI, all time best gift.
1: AI, I love it. I love it. There's a guy that works uh, as part of our social media team. At, at work, we're fairly casual, so I'll I'll rock the Jordans every now and then. He came in with a pair of Reebok pumps. Now I don't know if you're a sneaker person, yeah, but back I in a, <laughs> back in Allen Iverson, I got <laughs> like stolen a move. Right. It happens. <laughs> and I thought to myself, where the heck did you find those? Because again, AI put those things on a map back in the day. So just fun, fun stuff.
0: First brand you remember making an impact on you.
1: Back to the whole sneaker thing. Mm-hmm. It, it might be Adidas, Adidas and Nike. Uh, those are brands, again, the whole sneaker thing. Uh, and it's legit for me, not just as a sneakerhead, but I worked at Foot Locker part-time oh. for a short period of time. We can come back to that. Yeah. I had a lot of jobs, Jim, a yeah. lot of jobs. Um, that's but, my next question, actually. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh, oh yeah. We'll get there. But that's, th- those will be, uh, as I thought about it, those are some of the brands that, that go way back uh, for me. And if you think about the environment that I grew up in, not a lot of brands showing representation mm-hmm. in the hood. Yeah. And so you, you see and you acknowledge that which is around you. So that will be one. McDonald's. I worked at McDonald's for a short period of time and as as, has a fraction of the U.S. population at any given point. A good experience. And I still respect it because of how the company operates. I mean, they send these kids to college and they're willing to invest in that, which, you know, think what you want about the company and the corporation. But I I can always appreciate someone who's going to invest into that next generation. So those are some, especially growing up, those are some that come to mind.
0: So early jobs that had an impact on you, you talked about the school bus, Mm -hmm. you're talking about Foot Locker, McDonald's, but Mm -hmm. any others that had, or one of those that you want to underscore?
1: All of them were important at some point. The, The school bus one being a very first job, it was just responsibility. You know, I am responsible for doing this during this certain period of time. And I'm going to be compensated for that. Just the honor of being able to earn money, to have my own money in my yeah. pocket. That was a big deal. And I'll never forget that. Uh, underscored by the fact that my big brother helped us with this, which, which is why I helped those going forward. Someone did it for me. Super important that I do that. McDonald's in that uh, hard work. So I worked the breakfast shift. Uh, and for those that have worked at McDonald's before, they know the breakfast shift starts at 5 a.m.
0: So You're out of bed. It goes bed at to 1 4. p.m.
1: You're out out of bed at 3:30. 3:30 because public transportation's not running that early. Mm. So there was a walk involved, a fairly substantial one through some not great neighborhoods until you get to the subway that runs all night. Uh, and the learning there: one, this is hard work for 3:35 an hour. Two. I get a chance to go to school. So I was in high school applying for colleges at the time. But at some point, you know, this season will end and I get to go to college and do a college job at some point. But I'm working with folks for whom this is their living. And so just building that level of respect for people who work really, really hard in jobs that are just, you know, just tough jobs. And and so, again, that resonates with me. Internships, first white collar jobs, reeling really, that I don't have to sweat at work—at least not—not yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> not because of that. I get to different sweat. sweat. <laughs> <It's a> different kind <laughs> of sweat, but just just a difference. All of these experiences have made me who I am today, uh, and it's why you know I wanted to make sure that my kids are doing summer jobs and having you know experiences that they'll be able to look back on, uh, so that they have a healthy understanding and respect uh, for what it takes to to
0: make a living these days. I love that. One of your kids in college in California, one's in college in Pennsylvania, aye, just aye, like aye. the marriage.
1: Aye, aye, yeah. My goodness. Good. Yeah. Good. Frequent flyer miles in our future.
0: What's the most meaningful marketing or business initiative or campaign you've worked on in your career? The one that really sticks with you to say, ah, that was an experience. Uh,
1: I, w- I will lean more towards initiative than a specific mm-hmm. campaign. <laughs> the campaign kind of fits it. Uh, when I stepped into the CMO role several years ago, business as usual, and then COVID hits. And so very quickly it goes from being a CMO, being a marketer, to being a crisis manager. And that was the case with everyone sitting around the executive table. How the heck are we gonna navigate through this? And for us, those circumstances really forces sharp and quick decision-making. We were laying out and going through the process of understanding, you know, what's our marketing strategy going to be for the next several years? Because up until that point, we had business unit strategies that had a marketing element to it, but nothing really standing out, if you will, at that enterprise level. Mm -hmm. And so, how do we become more disciplined around managing our brand at the enterprise level so that? The campaigns and the messaging applies to life insurance as well as to commercial insurance, as well as to retirement plans. How can we build and be, therefore be more efficient around uh, managing a brand at the macro level? And so what we did was uh, we, we landed on focusing on the people that sell our products, our intermediaries. The math told us that roughly ninety percent of our revenues comes through an intermediary. So how do we make them look like the experts when they're interacting with that consumer? That will therefore tilt you towards uh, branding and advertising in the CNBC environment in the Wall Street Journal environment versus going directly to the consumer and therefore being smarter about the revenues, uh, uh, the spend that you're employing uh, against that strategy. One thing that I'm particularly proud about, uh, and I'm gonna try to describe this. Is the visual platform that we put into place along with that strategy, and so uh, up until that point, uh, we would, uh, if we had consumer facing advertising, advertising, we might use a lighter blue palette. If we have a financial services uh, intermediary that we're focusing on, we might use a lighter purple palette. Uh, If we're looking at commercial or property insurance, we might go with a dark green palette. And for years we had built this so that internally we kind of knew which segment we were going after. But from the consumer perspective, they just saw different colors. They didn't recognize the consistency across all of Nationwide we redesigned our complete visual platform. And so if you were to go out and look at Nationwide's handles on Instagram, for instance, and scroll way back to uh, prior to us laying out this platform, you would see a variety of colors. And then all of a sudden, you're gonna see blue. You're gonna see different blues and you're gonna see uh, the N and the eagle, Nationwide and its eagle. Uh, following this blue platform and we went with a similar and consistent font. We went with photography as opposed to uh, animation. Uh, And we just got really consistent across all of our businesses so that regardless of the product, you knew it was nationwide creative that you were looking at. And so if I pointed to an initiative, it would be that, that was to support this macro strategy of just yeah. being more consistent in how you're going to go about, uh, going into the market. And so really proud of the creatives that brought this to the table. And so again, when we get awards and when we recognize it's for that work uh, and the team did that,
0: I'm just, I'm super proud of the work that they did there. Most inspiring person in your life has been. Has been mom. my mom, yeah, hands down,
1: so. yeah. person who yeah. made something out of nothing. And who was around long enough to see me graduate from Wharton. Oh. How cool is that? Yeah. Around long enough to see that. And, you know, uh, you get your parents for a certain amount of time. And uh, I I cherish the memories of of having her there. Uh, The second would be my older brother, Kevin, uh, who, uh, as I mentioned, still, uh, still working, drives for FedEx, That's my big brother uh, in the father figure who, you know, it makes me feel good when he tells me how proud he is of of what I've been able to do. Uh, It's, it's, it's very cool. It's very special.
0: We're going to end on that note, Ramon. Thank you for this beautiful conversation and the speech this morning, hugely inspiring. And it's about time we sat down as, sure philly guys
1: (laughs) i can't believe it's taking this Sharing the
0: love yeah
1: yeah this was i'll I'll use this word again this was special so it's an honor to be invited i'm glad we had a chance to get to know each other better uh and let's not let this be the last time how's that
0: that's a deal that's a date awesome that was my conversation with ramon jones three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life first one have a personal board of advisors or personal board of directors. Ramon talked deeply about how significant that has been for his career. He talked about one mentor in particular. He says it's a most overlooked concept for many emerging executives. Think about who's on your personal board. Second takeaway, the CFO should be your friend. The CFO is Ramon's friend, and that is one big reason he's successful as Nationwide CMO. If you don't have a great relationship with your CFO, make a change in that because it is fundamental to you and your company's success. Third takeaway, think of yourself as a CMO, as a steward of the brand. I love that concept from Ramon. And he talked about what's most important in that concept is to develop the next generation of talent so they can be great stewards of the brand after your tenure. And bonus takeaway, we talked an awful lot about family in the show. We talked about the importance of Ramon's mom and his older brother in his development giving him confidence, giving him opportunity, and giving him hope. So it was a beautiful conversation about family. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.